Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv and Tokyo. I'm your host, Mia Kosiavelu, and today we're going to open the new year by checking in with our very first guest on the series, Natasha Friedis from Needless. Welcome, Natasha. It's so good to have you again. How are you? Hi, Mia. Oh, it's so great to be back here, and what an honor to have been the very first uh, guest, and I can't believe that that was two whole years ago. So happy to be here. Thank you. What have you been up to since? How's it been? What's your journey? Well, Mia, ironically, I think two years ago, as we know, it was right before COVID hit. So whatever journey we had planned, you can sure be sure that it has changed quite a bit. When we spoke, we were about to launch our new software called Respond Local, which is a B2B enterprise white-labeled software, which means that anybody who is doing their best to match needs to resources on the ground, connecting NGOs, civil society organizations, with businesses and the public sector offers, can brand it and deploy it in their own way. And so when COVID hit, there was a huge surge in the need for coordination tools because we had all those companies who were like, we want to help, we want to help. And all these organizations that desperately needed PPE or remote learning tools or what have you, and there was no way of matching it. So we essentially accelerated our live alpha testing by five months. Like we were nowhere near ready to start testing, but we said, let's just go for it. And it's been a crazy couple of years since then. We've learned a ton, both about the software and how to improve it itself. Like we're really, really proud of what we've built. And also just the reality of trying to sell into this marketplace of the humanitarian sector and crisis relief where people desperately need something but can't figure out how to actually procure it or make it happen or try something new because they're in the midst of a crisis. So what we've landed on is kind of this mix of opportunities where we've been deploying our software partly resourced by grants that are looking at kind of protracted humanitarian crises, which COVID, of course, has turned into. So we're, we've been deployed in Latin America, supporting the Venezuelan migration crisis, active in Uganda, Kenya, Iraq, and Bangladesh around the local PPE manufacturing crisis. That one's super exciting because it's matching needs from local organizations to local manufacturers. So instead of flying in all these N95s or what have you from wherever uh, across the world, you have people locally making soap and uh, hand sanitizer and face shields. And then last summer, um, right around Labor Day, I got this call from the White House, which kind of blew my mind. I was at home ordering Thai food for my family on a Friday night when I got this incoming call from someone saying, we're really interested in using needs list to support Afghan resettlement. And like one thing led to another. And basically what it amounted to was this partnership with Welcome.us, which is a national coalition supporting Afghan resettlement here in the States. And they're using our software to power something called the Welcome Exchange, which has already had about $3 million of needs met, ranging from you know diapers to Pizza Hut gift cards to Hasbro toys on there, Starbucks tea, Serta mattresses, kind of the whole range of needs. So it's been a busy couple of years for us. Yeah. 
I'm sure everyone's intrigued to hear more about this Afghan resettlement and your role. Do you mind just unpacking that a little bit further? Can we dive deeper? Sure, Mia. So similarly to COVID or whatever disaster you have, when all of a sudden in August you had, you know, 50 to 75,000 Afghan refugees coming to the States, um, and you're looking at them coming into a context where realistically a lot of resettlement agencies had been decimated by the prior administration. So not a ton of resources, very low numbers of refugees coming over the past couple of years. Companies wanted to help. And they were, when they want to help, there's, there was no go-to way for them to say, this is what we can offer. Who needs what? How can we help? And so what was happening is the public and private and NGO sector just gets kind of inundated with phone calls and people in back offices, like starting spreadsheets and like emailing and trying to figure it out. And that's usually the point at which people bring us in. Because our software is really plug and play. So, you know, you put a logo and some branding on it. Of course, there's configuration and other customization options. But essentially, we had something up and running within a week called the Welcome Exchange that supports Welcome US's in-kind giving. And what's been amazing is, you know, often in these contexts, you have a real, um, you have some competition for resources among NGOs. And in this case, what we're trying to, what we have been able to show successfully is you can really expand the pie by putting all this data on one platform. So we have, there are nine official resettlement agencies in the States. All nine of them are on the platform. They're all inviting their local affiliates on there. There's about a hundred right now. And in turn, businesses are coming on and making offers as well. Yeah, I've noticed here in San Francisco, there's been like billboards with things like Airbnb showing that they're providing homes and you know, I'm just thinking of our first conversation and, and your background in refugee work. How have things changed? What's been helpful? What do you still need? Well, Mia, actually, they haven't changed very much, right? Except the number of needs and the number of people who are displaced has changed. The tools we use collectively has not changed much. So in many ways, it's been a really exciting opportunity for us to do this partnership with Welcome US because it's full circle. We got started in response to the Syrian refugee crisis over five years ago. And at the time, I remember, you know, Obama stood up a White House committee on private sector council of all these businesses that wanted to help. And I was thinking, you know, we were very, very, very early days and needless at that point. We have like a WordPress prototype. And I remember thinking, wouldn't it be amazing someday if like all those companies could jump on this platform and see what was actually needed? And and that's actually happening now. And so it's been really exciting. We've had multiple opportunities to present the database and the platform to all kinds of companies. And they're really excited about like this concrete, you know, businesses know technology, they know software, they know platforms, they're used to it. So for them to be able to just search and see, oh, it's actually like 1,000 queen mattresses and 2,000 twin mattresses are needed and they're needed here. It just makes it much more concrete for them and they can see how they can support in a much more efficient way. From your view, what information sharing would be helpful? It's a great question. There's so many different ways that we could be bringing in AI to make this work more efficiently from the standpoint of bringing in consumers so that people can see what's needed near them. I don't know if you remember this, Mia. We started off as a, really a tool for individual donors or consumers and then pivoted in 2019 to a B2B platform. 
although we pivoted, we've completely recognized the fact that people want to make a difference. And you've seen this like in this whole rise of mutual aid over the last couple of years. And so bringing AI into that so that people can see what's needed around them much more efficiently and you get that matching tool based on your geography or interests and ways to help 100%. I think the other piece of it is I'm, I've, you know, I've been on calls today, last week, every week I'm on these calls that are looking at better predictive tools saying, okay, well, we know another 25,000 people are still going to be arriving. Uh, like this tool we're working on right now is just for Afghans. What happens when you open it up to refugees from any population? So essentially saying, this is what we know right now. This is how many diapers are needed. This is how many beds are needed. How does that change when you bring in additional, this number of additional families? And, and how does that change depending on nationality or country or like cultural practices? You know, people have, as we're looking at Afghan families, we're looking at things like pressure pots or rice cookers. Not everybody uses those. So how can we basically predict what's needed before crisis hits has always been our, our North Star. And we're not there yet, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to move there over the next year or two. Indeed. And the type of crises, I mean, just the past week, we've had the volcanic eruption in Tonga that disrupted Tonga. You know, all these kind of disasters where we're facing is that an area that you're noticing you need more help with yeah um so i think one thing that's changed certainly since we got started five years ago but even since we last spoke two years ago is that crisis is the new normal you know when we first got started and um, we had investors and partners saying how can you make this work because there's like a one-off natural disaster here or a hurricane here, but what happens the rest of the year? But there is no rest of the year anymore. You know, so we know the we need these tools all the time. In terms of whether we're deploying right now for the latest, you know, any given natural disaster, Mia, right now our model really depends on having a partner who is willing to license and deploy the software. We are really hoping in the next year or two to figure out a way to make it much to have kind of a lighter version or some type of like the open source part of the tools to have a freemium version. We want some way that anyone anywhere can just make it happen because what happens is people are interested, they inquire, and then, you know, they get distracted by the next crisis or something. You know, we what we want to do is have it up and running so that it can just kind of surge when needed and go back down. And we've been doing that in North Carolina over the past six months, which has been fantastic. We're working with the state there. They wanted something that could be ready to scale up for hurricane season. So they're using it for long-term recovery right now, which is always needed. You know, people are still, communities in the South are still recovering from Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Harvey years later. It's not like these things go away after the first couple months. Yeah, I see. I brought up those examples because that seems to be what's going on. But North Carolina, I can imagine you must have almost templates and have you standardized any of this kind of disaster relief and needs? Are you finding patterns across disasters? How can the AI age help um, access data and help with predicting in a smoother, more fluent, more um, just more effective way? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, so for um, lack of a better term, I'm going to turn to your Netflix account and think about based on where you are and what you like, these are the movies of what you might like. If, if we have can train data from North Carolina and other states in the South to say, you're based in Virginia, you have a hurricane coming, and based on the demographics of 
the county that you're in, we predict that this is what you need. And that's your starting point. And you can always alter it or edit it. But having these basic kind of lists that are predicted or projected as starting points, I think is really important because that allows these companies that are going to be responding either by donations or procurement to start positioning stock better. And a lot of this is already happening on the corporate side, of course, but I think having it much more tied to real-time needs is essential. That's absolutely so spot on. And, you know, you've got that crystal ball gaze. I love the Netflix example you just gave. And just moving a little bit forward, nudging you to more future applications, can you expand that vision for us a little bit? Sure, Mia. So um, we have an API we're building right now. It's going to be ready in the next month or so. And that's just the beginning of our data sharing model that we're really excited because, as you know, having open access to who needs what, where is essential. So I think in the future, all kinds of tools, we'd love to build a suite of tools that can really push out needs near you through social media, to, to individuals, through businesses, so that if you're, it's a little widget, if you're checking out online, you can always meet somebody in your community's needs. There's all kinds of ways I think people are generous. We just need to give them more concrete opportunities to do so. If we have some type of generosity uh, AI tool, I think the abundance will register there. I want to say, though, that these things, these tools aren't going to magically appear. I think we really need to look at like who's invested in making this happen and how do we move from these kind of one-off challenges from companies or a city to a real deliberate, intentional effort to share data, to share resources, to invest in building these kinds of tools, because they're for our collective good. I can't see why not, really. I mean, I can think of examples of of a basic little hackathon that can solve so much so i can imagine with the generosity and and focus and the goals that need to be met i don't see why not yeah natasha i mean what do you think is holding things back with this sector what could ai do better well i, I can't speak for everybody mia but i can say from our own experience that Building out AI is and building, you know, data science, it's expensive. And we have never had the resources to, to build it without a direct customer yet, you know? And so, um, if you look at AI in other industries, they often get, you know, millions and millions of early VC funding. And that's certainly not the case for humanitarian AI. And so the kind of default go to are often these corporate contests around using AI for good. And, you know, we actually, we've entered one or two, but we've decided really to stay clear of them because for the most part, they require you, actually not even for the most part, I've never seen one that doesn't require you to use their servers or their tools. And if you've already built your software on something different, it just doesn't make sense to stop in the hopes that you might win a contest where thousands of companies are entering, you know. So I, what I would love to see are challenges or public funds or collaborative funds that are a technology agnostic, that are looking at humanitarian tech tools that are collecting data, even though that's not the first point of what they're doing, perhaps, and like supporting them to build out their AI. I think that would be fantastic. 
Yeah, no, that, that does sound great. And do you think we're moving into more, you know, like corporate social responsibility may have a an AI responsible arm that really should be a humanitarian mandate there, I think. I don't know. I think it's going to have to be public sector, Mia. I have trouble seeing any CSR initiatives that are not going to be tied to the company's own technology. It's kind of counterintuitive for their the business case, unless you saw some of the larger tech companies partner and so, say, we want to start an AI for humanity fund and you build it on any of our tools or any tools you want. But I do think there's public sector responsibility to invest in these technologies, too, because at the end of the day, it's the public sector's responsibility to meet the needs of our citizens, right? That sounds very Canadian of you, but yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, indeed. So is there something you can think of extra to what you've said, impediments to do with AI in the humanitarian field that you've noticed? could be better? I think one thing, one impediment I find is there are a number of folks that we would love to partner with, but partnering takes time. And again, if there's not a concrete, when it comes to data sharing, um, if there's not somebody or resources going to sharing the data, it's often just, it gets kind of pushed to the bottom of the list, I guess I should say. It's not that it's not important and it's not that somebody always has to pay for it. But the reality is when you're a small team, you have competing resources. So I would love to see initiatives around really supporting folks who are gathering data to share that data. And, um, to, you know, I've seen a little bit of that here and there, but would love to see more of that in the future. I was chatting to someone recently who said they would love help from the humanitarian sector to help AI prioritize better. I wonder if you have any thoughts around that. Absolutely. I think there's all kinds of ways to engage the humanitarian sector in everything from some of the biases we see in AI to focusing specific use cases for for big data. I'd love to see 2022 be the year of data sharing and figuring out what the, what's it going to take to get there. How do you incentivize it? Who needs to be involved? Um, which sectors? It can't be the humanitarian sector alone. What are data sets out there that can be accessed or leveraged or shared more effectively? So maybe 2022 is, is roadmapping that, incentivizing it, and then 2023 and beyond is acting on it. Yeah, no, that was great. Natasha, thanks for those insights. Incredible talking to you as always and um, just moving a little bit towards what you just said about 2022, any other futuristic applications in your wish list that you, you know, you'd like to share with our community? Well, I mean, I'm not sure if AI can solve this, but one of the biggest issues we've certainly seen are the results of inequity. And so I want to see AI figure out how to get vaccine equity so we can get out of this pandemic and move on. So I will leave it at that. And hopefully somebody more clever than I can figure out how AI can make that happen. Well, on that note, wishing you an amazing 2022, all the best. And thanks for taking time to speak to us again. And that brings today's edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close.